Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome to the Nightcap here on WGR. Happy Monday. We are just a little under... 22 hours until cutdowns have to be made in the NFL to get your roster down to 53 men. And of course, the Bills have been in the news the past few days. We will touch on the Matt Ariza situation as well as projecting or more looking at who could be on the Bills 53-man roster. And I also want to go over tonight, San Francisco and Baltimore, their developing quarterback situations. If you haven't seen San Francisco is going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess. They're restructuring his contract for one year. So it looks like he is going to be the 49ers' backup quarterback, even though he basically has not been involved with the 49ers at all this offseason. And in Baltimore, Lamar Jackson on Twitter earlier this uh, tonight refuted the story that had come out a few weeks ago about the Baltimore Ravens offering him a massive contract. He refuted it basically... It, saying no they didn't so we'll talk about that but where I do want to start to get sort of the negative story out of the way the Matt Ariza situation he was cut from the bills over the weekend the civil suit against him came out late last week I want to say on Thursday if I'm remembering correctly and the bills cut him late Saturday night well late Saturday afternoon it was around seven ish that they officially announced it I, for the most part, am okay with how the Bills handled it. I am more frustrated and angry about how they didn't know, or it seemingly that they didn't do their homework, that they very much treated a punter, kicker, specialty player like, nah, whatever. All right, well, you know, we'll deal with this. Or they knew that it was out there and thought, maybe this will just go away. Maybe they took Ariza at face value and trusted everything he said. I don't know. I'm not privy to those conversations or that knowledge. But it was a bad look from the Bills. They got in front of it, I think, as best they could. Because I do think there is a little bit of, you got to make sure you're right if you're going to cut them. Or you could get the NFL Player Association involved. Ariza himself could become involved. And it could turn very, very ugly for the Bills very, very quickly. But... I have been thinking about this a lot this past week of, well, past few days. 
how the Bills would have been perceived if an hour before that LA Times story broke, it was announced that the Bills had cut Ariza and now had no punter on the roster or anything like that. So in, in terms of football basis, they have no punter. What the hell is going on? I wonder how they would have been perceived just as that story came out. Because a little bit of that shiny, clean armor that the Bills had for the last you know, four and a half, five years is gone. Or at least it's rusted a little bit. That people are kind of side-eyeing them a little bit more and thinking, did you guys do your homework? Is it all character like you've said? I listened to Sean McDermott's post-game press conference against the Carolina Panthers that Friday night, and he was upset. And I don't think it was he was upset at the line of questioning. I think he was upset at the situation he was put in. The fact that I do, in some respects, believe the Bills, or yeah, the Bills were more led astray by Ariza, his attorney, in terms of what was actually going on. What was the likely outcome in this? I think they were led astray in that. I think they were led astray in some of the details. At least, again, this is the vibe I was getting from McDermott. I have no knowledge of this. This is just how I felt McDermott looked and sounded on Friday night. And then, of course, on Saturday... McDermott was going to speak with the media at 3 before practice. Then it was pushed back to 3.30 because practice was pushed back, I want to say, to 4.30. And it kept getting pushed back. And eventually, at 7, it was both him and general manager Brandon Bean. And, of course, they then announced he was cut. And, you know, they answered questions, I think, as best they could. But it is an embarrassing moment from a franchise that really has not had any embarrassing moments over these past five years with these two very much at the helm. I think it was a reality check for them. I think it was something that they can't rest on their laurels anymore. Because in a certain sense, in much more of a football sense, not you know personal lives, Ariza was just a punter. It was very easy to move off of him in terms of his position. But if they don't do their homework in the future and they draft a wide receiver or a defensive end in the first round and stuff like this comes out, they can't go back to that PR statement of we did a thorough investigation. And that, to me, was really where the Bills dropped the ball and got a lot of fans and, and national fans and, and national news outlets upset with them that they just kind of throw out the blanket statement of we did a thorough investigation when most things showed and then eventually their comments to a certain extent showed thorough is not the word they should have used. It definitively did not fit at all the story that they were portraying the last two nights with the media. But as Mike Shope was saying on Show on the Bulldog, it is behind us. It is now something that, yes, we'll live with the Bills forever or at least this group forever. But it may get to a certain point where it's just kind of forgotten. That it's not it's not a major thing, maybe, anymore. I think it should, though. I think stuff like this should always kind of stick with teams so that football culture or more sports, sports culture can change. Because I think far too often we sort of, as fans, it's in a very different light, but organizations as well, Stop looking at these players as people and just as commodities, as an asset to a team. And forget that they are flawed. They may not be a good person. They may not be somebody you should willingly spend millions of dollars on or give millions of dollars to. They're, of course, the exact opposite where there are people where you're like, man, you should have millions upon millions of dollars because you'll give a lot to charity. You'll help your hometown. You'll be the, you know, one of the greatest, you know, 
patrons to a city that you got drafted to that you're not even from kind of guy. But then there are the opposite scenarios. To a lesser extent, someone like Johnny Manziel years ago was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, a first-round pick. He was absolutely someone that should not have been given millions of dollars. And yet he was. Because I think the Browns, in a certain sense, stopped looking him at you know, looking at him as Johnny Manziel, the person, and only saw Johnny football, the Heisman Trophy winner, the star of college football. And to a certain extent, I think the Bills, a little bit, stopped looking at Matt Ariza and just looked at Punt God and saw their roster and said, hey, he's a luxury, we'll just, we'll just draft him, without realizing that these are people, and these people affect other people around them. Again, all of this is just allegations. Ariza in a year or two could be found completely innocent. And not a great look on the Bills, but ultimately would not be a terrible look on them. This is kind of the norm. These allegations don't just come out of thin air. As much as some people want to imagine that, you know, you can just sue anybody for anything. You have to come forward with evidence. Lawyers won't just take your case. They're resting their reputation on you. But maybe he has proven innocent in a year or two, or even less time. The Bills still don't come out of this looking bad. They were proactive, they made the pragmatic choice, and they moved on. But they could have handled the 48 hours before much better. I think the response they had initially was terrible. And I think just putting McDermott out front on Friday night was not a great look. Not for McDermott, I just think for the team in general. While, yes, McDermott is involved in the the draft process, if you ever watch the Embedded series that the Bills release, he is very much in the draft room when everything's going on, but that is Brandon Bean's show. And I think they really should have put Brandon Bean in front of the media. I know a lot of Bills reporters were asking for him. I know a lot of Bills reporters were asking for him on Saturday, and they did get him, and he spoke a lot on Saturday. But hopefully now, the Bills can move on from this. But because it is such a violent case, it is such a disturbing case, I don't... I. In reality, I don't want this to be forgotten. Yes, I am a Bills fan. Yes, I want them to win the Super Bowl. And I would love them to do it squeaky clean. But in reality, this is their screw-up. And they have to live with that. They made this bet and they have to lay in it. I think they'll be fine because they acted quickly. This is not something where Ariza is still on the roster 10, 15, 20 days after the allegations came out. And that he's now become a main story on the Bills. By week two or three, he will likely not even be mentioned by you know highlights going over the games that day or the, or the day before, or even talking about the Bills moving forward through the season. He will likely not even be brought up. But the Bills have to realize that this could have been worse for them. And again, just a football sense. Because what if this was a first-round wide receiver or defensive end? And you completely botched this just because you thought, well, we've been so good at getting all these character guys. Why would it change now? 
that's kind of the feeling it gave off that they just didn't do their homework that they just they weren't privy to this really what should have tipped them off that hmm, maybe drafting this luxury is probably not a good idea is when he was the third punter available it tipped a lot of people off that mm, there's something wrong here. He won the Ray Guy Award. He was clearly the best punter in college. And yet two teams passed on him. At the time, it felt like the Bills got a steal at punter. It was weird. Looking back, that should have been a red flag to the Bills of, ooh, maybe this is somebody we wait to like maybe grab as an undrafted free agent, if at all. Instead, they drafted him. And then they did a big media circus with him as punt god. And that was another negative aspect that the Bills should have avoided. But they didn't, and here we are. And that's fine, but we need to move on. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now, moving on to the Bills' 53-man roster. Cutdowns are, well, cutdown to get to the 53-man roster is tomorrow at 4 p.m. The Bills, I want to say, are in the 70s. I think they have to get to around 20 more cuts. No one surprising today. It was a bunch of kind of just like guys that, I, truthfully, you probably really haven't heard much of. It's not any of the, the wide receivers we've all been talking about or even some of the secondary pieces, even any of the running backs. And I will say for guys like Raheem Blackshear, Isaiah Hodgins, it's good to see that they're probably going to make it to the last round of cuts. That, I think, is a good thing for them. But going through that, I think the Bills could keep three quarterbacks in the sense that I think Matt Barkley could wind up on the practice squad and they kind of just keep him. Case Keenum is absolutely going to be this team's backup. And that's more than okay with me. I think he performed much better in the second game when he actually had an offensive line in front of him, not just a bunch of third and fourth stringers. I think that was huge for him. And then, of course, Josh Allen, your starter, makes a ton of sense. Going to the running back room, Taiwan Jones is absolutely on this team for special teams. That's just something I, some people who don't like special teams are going to have to deal with, and that's fine. But he is on this team. He is going to take up one of the four running back positions. Who are the other guys? James Cook, you just spent a second-round pick on him, and he has shown some pop ability. They really haven't used him much in the preseason, which I think tells you a lot that they have a role for him in the regular season. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. There was a report late today that the Bills likely are not going to be moving Zach Moss in a trade. Uh, to me, that kind of makes sense. I don't know how much you're really able to trade a running back anymore, especially one that's not a star. This is coming from Aaron Wilson over at 
uh, the pro football pro football network. He says the Bills are likely not going to shop Zach Moss. I just I to me I don't know how much they would have actually gotten for him, and I do think this is a team that values value that they're not just going to trade somebody to trade somebody. Even though I kind of do like Raheem Blackshear, I'm gonna be honest. He is an NFL running back. He is going to find his way onto a roster and make it work. He may not be their starter, and that's fine. He's an undrafted free agent out of Virginia Tech. He's a rookie. So it's not even like this is a guy that's, you know, fourth, fifth year in the league and he's just trying to hang on. He can build his way up. But he showed a lot of pop ability. I like him. I don't think he'll be on the Bills roster because I think they're in a loaded, weirdly enough, a loaded room. But I think he'll find his way on somewhere. I think he will make the roster in terms of beyond the practice squad, just not make it through waivers. I think that's where the Bills lose him is that he does not make it through waivers. And, of course, Reggie Gilliam. But he's fullback. He's going to make the team just for a different role. So, ultimately, it's going to be Raheem Blackshear and Duke Johnson, who I think are the guys that get cut. And yet, both of them in this preseason have had very, very impressive moments. But this team is talented. And getting James Cook in the second round very much took a, took a spot away. It, it took a spot away from one of those guys. Because what I've liked this this preseason from Cook has been those few times where they actually give him a handoff and you can see that burst ability, that's that stop and go ability that he has that just no one else on this team has. Singletary has a good stop and go. He does not have the burst though of James Cook. I am interested to see how much he actually gets in terms of handoffs rather than just catches. I think Cook could be a spectacular player for this offense. Again, I, and I've made this point before, an Alvin Kamara light. I don't think he is going to be Alvin Kamara. Kamara is much stronger than he is. Uh, not as fast, but much stronger. But if he can be a light version of that, that would be spectacular for the Bills to get in the second round. Wide receivers. This is going to be the interesting one for me because I would keep Isaiah Hodgins. I would cut Jake Kumro. Kumro, though, I think is going to get a spot on here for special teams. My problem with that is I think Isaiah Hodgins could offer something in this offense that just Jake Kumro cannot. If if to me, if Hodgins is just a solid special teamer, I would one hundred percent seven days out of the week, twice on Sunday, keep him over Jay Kumro. Kumro to me just doesn't offer anything. There isn't an elite trait. He's not overly big. He's not fast. He doesn't have the best hands on the team. Hodgins offers size. And he's and he's shown he can make a ton of tough catches. Something that in his rookie year, Gabe Davis showed in spades that his elite trait was tough catches and the sideline. And Hodgins had a number of those during this preseason when it was him and really Shakir that got a bulk of the receiver reps for both the second and third string guys. So for me, I think the receivers that make it onto this team are Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakir, Jamison Crowder. I think Isaiah Hodgins... And then now it's, do they keep seven? Do they keep somebody like Marquez Stevenson? I don't know. Shakir, I think, could be somebody that winds up taking the punts and kicks. He looked so calm back there, so relaxed. There was never a worry. You know, when they had Isaiah McKenzie doing that, there was always that worry that he could he could botch one or two, that it could just it could fall apart and it could be over. Marquez Stevenson, I just, what else does he offer but that? 
We don't know. He he literally didn't have a target last year in the regular season, and he's been dealing with a foot injury most of camp. So I think he's likely gone. They could keep Pumero, seven wide receivers, and he's just a special teams guy. They could do that. I think someone like Tanner Gentry, I think he's out. I don't I think he offers nothing outside of being Josh Allen's former college teammate. But so if they keep seven, I think they keep Kumro. If they keep six, I think Kumro's on the outs. Hodgins to me is in without a doubt. Tight ends. I don't know what to do with OJ Howard. I like he's been the one, I think for a lot of fans, it's just been somewhat of an anomaly where you just don't you were I don't even know if necessarily every Bills fan was excited when they got him, but there was at least this idea of like, oh, I know who OJ Howard is. I remember him when he was at, you know, in college at Alabama. He was fast, kind of Kyle Pitts before Kyle Pitts in the sense of, you know, this high athlete tight end, you draft him. He's kind of a mix between that and a wide receiver. Like you can't waste a first round pick on him. There was a lot on OJ Howard when he came out. And yet he has lived up to basically none of it. Some of that is injuries. Some of that is himself. But, I mean, the thing with O.J. Howard is he would be, at best, the second-string tight end. He certainly has not overtaken Dawson Knox. Tommy Sweeney, they love Sweeney. I think he's on this roster. Quentin Morris, I like Quentin Morris better than O.J. Howard. I think without a doubt I like him better than O.J. Howard. I would kind of be stunned if Howard is on this team at this time tomorrow. I think I'd be stunned if he was on this team at this time tomorrow. I just, I don't, it, Howard has become a lot of what everyone thought he could be, just never materialized, ever, not once in his career. And it's a shame, but it is what it is. It never materialized. To the O-line, Bobby Hart's making this roster. Bobby Hart is absolutely making this roster. I know a lot of people don't love that. I'm not the biggest fan of Bobby Hart in the slightest. Last year in the preseason, every time he was in the preseason, it was get Josh out, get everybody out. It was alarming to watch him at times play. But he's been better this year. Not great against Carolina, I will say. He, he was very, very good against Denver. Terrible against Carolina. So I'd like to I'd like to think that there's like that middle ground, that that's where he's at now with Aaron Cromer as the team's offensive line coach. I'd like to think that's where we're going to get him, is in the middle. But even then, guys, he's not going to start. And with the Cody Ford trade to Arizona, Bobby Hart, to me, makes this team. I think as well, you're going to have Spencer Brown is probably your backup right tackle. I think that's without a doubt. David Questenberry is the team's starting right tackle. He was the team's starting right tackle in basically every metric this this, this preseason. In training camp, the first official depth chart, every single time they have the starting offensive lineman out, out there, David Questenberry was the team's starting right tackle. Spencer Brown would be the team's backup right tackle. I'm okay with that. Just give me the best guys, the best five, and throw them out there. I just want consistency at the offensive line play that's solid to good. I don't need great. They don't have a Quentin Nelson on this team. They don't have a Joe Thomas. Nothing like that. Just give me solid to good consistency, and I'm happy. Defensive linemen, I think. I had the same problem last year. Defensive linemen, I think they can keep most of these guys. It's it's tough. I, I think they could keep most of them. I think they're obviously going to keep Shaq Lawson, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, Greg Rousseau, Tim Settle, Jaquan Jones. I think Carlos Basham as well and A.J. Epinesa are definitely in. Brandon Bryant's going to be on the outs a little bit. 
Ilyanku always kind of pops in the preseason and then really doesn't do anything, but I could see him making this roster as well. For me, it's just it's a few of these guys that I'm I'm just I'm stoked to see. That being two of the interior guys at Oliver and Tim Settle. I think Tim Settle is going to be a revelation for that interior defensive line. I think he's going to be an absolute revelation. That Colts game where he just bullied Quentin Nelson was spectacular. So much fun to watch. Especially because as much as I loved Harrison Phillips, I wouldn't say that was Phillips' game at all, not to be like the bruiser. He was just very technically sound, good run defender, somebody you can rely on. And somebody, he's going to help out Minnesota a ton. But Settle, to me, just adds that extra power, that extra push that will free up who I think could be an A-plus level pass rusher in Ed Oliver if really just given the ability to just pin his ears back and go. I think Ed Oliver can be that guy. I think Tim Settle opens that up. And then Greg Rousseau on the outside, I just I can't wait to see the sort of maturation that has come from him with both having Von Miller sort of helping him out in his second year and just being a second-year player now. He showed flashes at times last year of the pass rusher he could be, the force he could be. I want to see that now transitioning into years. I'm, I'm so excited to see that. Linebackers, Balen Specter really is, is kind of the interesting one to watch. I think Terrell Bernard absolutely is going to be this team's backup middle linebacker, or at least one of their backup linebackers. And then along with that, what do they do with someone like Andre Smith, who is going to miss a number of games to start the year due to a suspension? What do they do there? Balen Specter, though, is the interesting one to watch. He was a draft pick for this team, but he was a late, late draft pick. So it could be, you know, you're getting towards a point where this team is so talented that you can just kind of move off guys. That you're okay, all right. Swing and a miss. It was a talented group. We had to take a shot. It happens. I think Balen Specter could find himself in that area, even though I think he's a very technically sound linebacker. Just doesn't I don't know if he adds enough athletically. Terrell Bernard to me is is phenomenal athletically, and he's showing a lot of poise in that middle linebacker position. To defensive backs. Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam have very much been the story of this secondary all preseason long, mainly due to Tredavious White still being on the pup list, or I'm sorry, still being uh, inactive, and we'll see if he goes on the pup list to start the year. I think that deadline is next week, Thursday. Those two, though, have been sort of the stars in terms of the cornerbacks because really guys like Teron Johnson and actually Dane Jackson have kind of just been stalwarts they're like the starters Dane Jackson has been CB1 with Tredavious White out Teron Johnson is maybe one of the best nickel corners in the game so like that has just been secured and something I'd really like to see this off or this this um preseason excuse me is with the safeties both dealing with injuries and Hyde and Poyer we've gotten to see a lot from DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson something that I was really happy to see because I think both of them could be here long-term, especially with both safeties in Hyde and Poyer being over 30 years old. We could start seeing that transition a little bit to Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson. I think they both have handled themselves spectacularly. Cam Lewis, the UB product as well, has gotten a little bit of time at safety. I've liked watching that. Nick McLeod has been has been shown out a little bit as somebody that he could get a cut that takes six stitches to close, and he'll go right back in for a game. So I think they're more than fine at their secondary positions. But Benford and Elam have very much been sort of the main talking points. But I'm fine with either of them. I think Benford has maybe been more the more consistent one, but Elam flashes a ton, and he has shown that in all three preseason games. 
especially that first one against Indianapolis, third down breakups. He actually has had a few third down breakups. So I am more than okay with either of them. We are going to take a quick timeout. We come back, talk a little bit about the quarterback situations going on in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo looks like he is staying in San Francisco and Baltimore. Maybe lied about how much money they offered Lamar Jackson. We'll talk about that when we get back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you here for about another half hour or so. Some quarterback news dropped late this evening involving two teams, the San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens, both teams that have kind of been like these uncomfortably just awkward quarterback situations. We'll start with San Francisco, and that being they drafted Trey Lance last year, third overall. They were clearly ready to move off from Jimmy Garoppolo, who I've been one to say I think he's a below-average quarterback. I think he was being saved and somewhat salvaged by – Kyle Shanahan, and a very, very talented San Francisco 49ers team as a whole. They've just, for the last few years, had a, just a horrible injury luck with some of like their biggest players. But they looked like they were ready to move off of them. And then they just never traded them. And they just kept him on the roster. And stories came out about Jimmy Garoppolo just becoming a, a ghost with the 49ers that after he signed his big mega deal with the team in that offseason – he just never contacted anybody. He just went away. And they've had stories where, like, they've had to send somebody from the team over to his house just to make sure he was there. Like, everything was fine because they just had not heard from him. And then now he's still on the roster. They make the NFC Championship game last year. Garoppolo, for the second straight NFC Championship run that they've had, did uh, nothing throwing the ball, but, you know, We'll have some people say that he led them to the NFC Championship game for a second time in three years. Okay, say what you want. It's wrong. They get there running the ball and playing good defense. And the fact that the NFC just only has a few talented quarterbacks, and one of their talented quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, plays dreadfully in the playoffs now and has for the last few years. But, again, he's still on the team. They openly are moving on. And going to Trey Lance, and it's his team. And there's players on the 49ers talking about this is Trey's team. Like, if he don't make mistakes, we're going to go far. Because that, that's how they did it with Garoppolo. And yet now we get to today, after there was rumors that, you know, if, if they didn't trade him, they'd cut him, and, you know, he'd get all this money, and whatever. He would move on, and they would move on. And yet today, it's announced he agrees to a restructured contract and will remain with the 49ers this season. What? He hasn't been around the team all offseason. But he has been constantly, no fault of his own, but a dark cloud around the team because, as everybody knows, if Lance has a bad game or two to start the year, or just a, you know average game, there will be fans and even some players and some coaches clamoring, well, let's just bring let's just bring Jimmy back. Let's just put Jimmy in. Like we know we can get to a Super Bowl with him. We were just one or two plays away from beating the Chiefs. Just put Jimmy back in. We still have no idea if Kyle Shanahan even wanted Trey Lance or if this was a John Lynch pick. We still have no idea. And to be honest, the more this stuff goes goes on, 
Garoppolo staying on the 49ers. Now this restructured contract, where he will officially stay on the 49ers' team, be their backup quarterback. I love Kyle Shannon as a head coach. I think he does a ton to help that team. I think he has made Jimmy Garoppolo a far more serviceable quarterback than he is. But you picked him third overall. That's your guy now. This isn't the the Green Bay Packers with Jordan Love. Well, yes, they're both first-round picks. That is a late first-rounder that you can sit there and go, well, we still have Aaron Rodgers, no reason for us to be hasty, let's let's not rush this. And even I now say Love is maybe one of the most wasted first-round picks ever already. What is Trey Lance going to become if he has a bad game or two? Unlike Tua, Lance has a plethora of, of physical talent that Jimmy Garoppolo just straight up doesn't have. If he finds any consistency, we all saw that you know 75-yard touchdown pass he had to, was it Dwayne Brady or something like that? A no-name receiver just fires a 75-yard bomb to him. That is a throw Garoppolo can't make in his dreams, let alone attempt it. And that's the guy you maybe want to go back to if Lance just kind of struggles. I've been saying it for a few weeks now that it just if Lance is just an average quarterback passing the ball-wise, he will already be better than Jimmy Garoppolo because of what he adds with his legs. Already he'll be better because he'll offer more to this offense that Garoppolo just never could. And yet it seems like at every turn, the 49ers want to press the brakes. They're that annoying driver behind you that if there's like any slight deviation in traffic, they're on the break. And you're just like, oh, I just want to get away from you. That's how I feel with the 49ers. There's that annoying driver right in front of you that you can't get away from. And every three seconds, they are tapping the brake. That's how the 49ers are in this situation at quarterback. And I'll tell you right now, Lance isn't happy. This has been Lance's team all offseason. Again, Garoppolo hasn't been there. He hasn't been practicing them. He's been at the facility recovering. But in terms of actually being a leader, being in meetings, he's not there. So what does this tell Lance now in terms of his team's confidence in him? And some guys don't really need that big, you know, pat on the back or anything like that. Like they're they're more than fine being their own, either biggest critic or biggest cheerleader, and they're fine. Others, though, and I don't know where Lance falls on this, but others are gonna be sitting there going, So what am I? Like, you're going to throw me out there, but if I throw a pick, I have to look behind my shoulder? I mean, I mean, like, they, like this. who does this help? Garoppolo hasn't been there all offseason. And while, yes, it's his, you know, system, the team is going to change to go around Trey Lance's skill set, as they should. Are they just going to do a whole 180 if, you know, week five, Lance has a two-interception, one-passing touchdown game? You got that with Garoppolo. Nothing will change, but you'll take away any pop ability that the team has. I was always for the 49ers grabbing Lance because he offered more than Garoppolo ever could. But it seems like the 49ers are afraid of that. And now the rumors that Kyle Shanahan's favorite quarterback in the league, the one he always wanted in San Francisco being Kirk Cousins, it sounds real because it's just a guy that he doesn't, he can't deviate away from his playbook. He can't improvise. He can just run your offense. 
And while the league is moving towards offensive coordinators becoming head coaches and less so defensive guys, I think that is always going to be a constant issue with the offensive guys, a lot like it was for defensive coaches in the 80s and 90s. You have to adapt. You may be the greatest play call in the world, and some guys just won't execute. And your quarterback has to have the ability to improvise, to make things up as they go, instead of just, oh, it's a dead play, toss it away. You don't want that. How many how many Josh Allen touchdowns do we have every year that is him just rolling to his right and firing a laser 35 yards down the field? Just because nobody's open on the initial routes, I'm going to scramble out, I'm going to find something. I'm going to do something with this. But there are offensive coordinators out there. There are There are head coaches out there that just believe they run the perfect system and that they want nothing to deviate from it. And I'm worried that that's where Shanahan finds himself in. Because I always kind of push back a little bit on those rumors that, you know, the guy he always wanted was Kirk Cousins. He wanted him from Minnesota, and he wanted to get him into, or I think he was leaving Washington, and he wanted to get him into Minnesota. Or he wanted to get him into San Francisco. And I just always thought, no, don't do that. Oh, my gosh, that's so limiting. Look at how many, like, studs. Kirk Cousins has at wide receiver in Thielen, in Diggs, now in Jefferson. He has one playoff win in four years there. In an in, in NFC division, or an NFC conference that is up for the taking. I, The 49ers need to move off of Garoppolo and fully embrace Lance. It may crash and burn, but you are never going to beat some of the top-end AFC quarterbacks with Garoppolo. And moving on to one of the top-end AFC quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson today. Some Baltimore fans were kind of talking about Lamar. I, I think they added him, and then somebody said that, well, they offered him $250 million. He just wants it fully guaranteed. And Lamar commented and said, no, they didn't. And I've been saying these past few weeks that I think the Baltimore situation could devolve into toxicity very quickly. And now it's starting to look like it is because then a few minutes after that, he liked a pitcher with him in the Miami Dolphins jersey. Baltimore, same with San Francisco, cannot squander this. Baltimore has never really been able to draft offense. Running back, sure, but nothing really substantial. They've never had that stud, unbelievable player on the offensive side of the ball. That was a true skill position. Running backs, I, to me, I look a lot of them as like a defensive player as well because defensive head coaches have their same mindset of we can ground teams into it, you, you, we can grind them dust running the ball. Jamal Lewis for those two thousands two thousand one Ravens was spectacular for him. Lamar is the greatest offensive player they've ever drafted, and it's starting to look like he may not even get a second contract with the team because they have just never valued him at all they keep Greg Roman around to the point where his development in my opinion has completely stagnated he has shown some improvements in passing ball and passing he still has some inconsistency issues but he got over the idea that he couldn't play from behind he got over that and now this team just doesn't want to seem to add anything offensively that'll help him and I've heard guys like uh, Colin Coward brought it up recently that, well, the team has drafted you know a ton of receivers and a ton of tight ends and a ton of offensive linemen. Are they hitting? Clearly not. Because we've been talking about them. It's a thing, too, that 
now that Ozzie Newsom is no longer the general manager of the Ravens, they have had some alarming misses. Some guys that just have not become the studs they thought they would be. Lamar, I want to say, was Ozzie Newsom's last pick. And since then, the Ravens have kind of been living off of him. And then when he went down last year, they were the one seed when he went down. And they lost every game. They dealt with injuries, yes. But Lamar dragged them to the one seed. They may have lost in the playoffs the moment they came up to other playoff teams, maybe. Previous year's show, probably. But he is he is keeping your franchise relevant in an AFC conference that is alarmingly shifting to elite quarterbacks and offensive play. You need to keep up because a team in your division, Cincinnati, has a stud young quarterback and an aggressive offense and maybe the best receiver in football in Jamar Chase. You have to keep up with them. And if they think they can just move off Lamar, find somebody else, and they'll just keep chugging along, how many teams have thought that way and have never gotten back? The Raiders, until they got Derek Carr, were, were praying for the days of Rich Gannon in 2002. The Vikings must have thought they would have gotten Fran Tarkington at least two or three times more. Instead, they're stuck with Kirk Cousins. The Eagles... Thought they were golden with Carson Wentz. Michael Vick a few years before that. Donovan McNabb. Everyone thinks that, you know, it's better on the other side. In football, at the quarterback position, you're far more likely to be one of those teams than you are the San Francisco 49ers or the Green Bay Packers transitioning from Montana to Young and Farver Rogers. You are far more likely to fall into a 10, 15-year run of constantly just trying to get you know, an average guy to above-average guy, hoping a draft pick lands, but you, your team is too, is too good to be in you know, one or two. You can't live like that anymore, not in the AFC especially. There are too many young quarterbacks, and now in today's game, they aren't just here for 10 years. They're here for 15 to almost 20 years of play. You cannot fall behind them. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll run through some more sports topics throughout the day, including an F1 race that was this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Wrap up final segment here. I just want to mention the return of Formula One, the Belgian Grand Prix this weekend. Max Verstappen, again, the winner Ferrari, again, fun screw-ups. At this point, I mean, if you're rooting for Ferrari, it's not a fun time, but everybody else, I'm having a really, really good time watching Ferrari consistently spend millions of dollars on just the worst strategy team I've ever seen in professional sports. I love it every time. We are getting to the point, though, where it's not really you're not really paying attention to who's going to win. Verstappen started 15th this race because of taking a penalty and by lap 12, he was in second. I think by lap 15, he was in first of a 44-lap race. He is in, without a doubt, the best car, and he is, without a doubt, the best driver on the grid. And while I, I still love watching the sport, I'm having a ton of fun, it is something where it's like, wow, everyone is just trying to catch not only that car, but the combination of the car and the driver. It really does seem almost symbiotic at this point that just even if he has issues, they're not they're not ultimately 
that bad for him. He's able to just completely work around it and make it work. At this point, I mean, coming into this race, he could have DNF'd four times in a row, and there was no one on the grid that could have won four straight times and actually overtake him. And now it has just gotten, at this point, almost insurmountable how big his lead is. I'm having a blast. I'm having a fun time. But it is something that it's almost like, I'm almost like a baseball fan with it too, where it's like, ooh, am I going to like get to a certain point? Like if my, if my favorite driver's out of it, I'm just going to stop paying attention. I don't think so because the, it's the little stuff that I do enjoy with it. But man, Red Bull with, with Max Verstappen is just, it. they are dominant. I don't know if this is like the Mercedes dominance from, you know, a few years ago for five straight years. I don't know. I, I wasn't watching at the time, but I got to imagine this is kind of what it felt like. I got to imagine this is what it felt like. That's going to do it for me here on the Nightcap. Tomorrow, 4 p.m. deadline for NFL teams to get their rosters to 53. We'll have you covered all afternoon starting at 3 with Shope and the Bulldog, with Mike Shope. Bulldog is on vacation. And then I'll, of course, wrap things up for the night here on the Nightcap. So thank you for listening. Have a great night, and we will see you again tomorrow. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.